You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. All right. Everybody take your cell phone. Pull it out of your pocket, please. Right now. It's okay. Go ahead. Take your cell phone. Pull it out of your pocket. Stick it up way high. Want to see your cell phone? Want to see who has the best tech in the room? Okay. So... <laughs> well, <laughs> like that. This guy's tablet back here. Okay, keep your cell phone up if you use this thing to remind you of things to do every day or uh, in, you know throughout the week. Raise it up a little higher, even. Okay, um, raise your, uh, keep your phone up if you use this thing to remind yourself to read the Bible. Okay, there's a few of you. Good job. Good job, yeah. Uh, keep, put your phone up if you use this to read your Bible. I want to know. Okay, who here still uses a paper Bible? You troglodytes. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> this morning, I'm going to introduce you to an old school way of reminding. String. Anybody ever put a string on their finger to remember something? I don't know where in the world this came <laughs> Will, you did? I'm sorry. (laughs) I don't know where in the world this tradition came from, but you're going to see how difficult this is. I'm going to pass these around. I would like you to tie a string around your finger, please. Um, Any finger. I don't care which one. Maybe just not the middle one because you don't want to show it off to people a little later. So um, go ahead. Grab one string, and I would like you to tie it around your finger. Apparently, this was an old school way to remind yourself of something. And today, what we're going to do is we're going to dive into the book of 2 Peter, and we're going to talk about reminders. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but from the dawn of time, humanity has been a remembering people. Um, in fact, just about everywhere you look, the things that are around you, you're going to you're going to see them. These are reminders. Okay, there's these little things that are carved out of granite or stone or something that poke up out of the ground, all in a manicured lot. What do we call this? A cemetery. Why are those things there? Why are those things there? It's to honor people and remember them, right? Um, What about, uh, well, let's see. I mean, from from the dawn of time, we've had this happen in our culture. Some people place large stones in the middle of, uh, in the middle of fields to remind them of things that happened. Uh, You read that actually in scripture. You see that as a a Jewish thing that that they did in the patriarchal days where they would put a a pile of, a pillar of stones in the middle of a field to remember something that God had done or to remember something that had happened there. Um, Some people are early on built structures. They built uh, things called uh, pillars or obelisks and would, would actually Actually, um, etch the story that they're trying to remember on these things that they would that they would construct. Um, fast forward a little bit. Some other people use like natural landmarks. Um, there are African cultures that, uh, that that have trees that tell of great stories and and whatnot. Um, some people dig catacombs and store items in there. Okay, you go into Europe and you see that everywhere. People digging catacombs to remember everything that's happening. And then you have some weird cultures that like carve faces on mountains of presidents and stuff like that to like remind themselves of stuff that's going on. Right. So everywhere you look, you turn around and you can see this. We are a culture that has deep down inside of us, we are a world that deep down inside of us is a remembering, reminding culture. We've worked it into our technology. We have uh, this stupid thing of tying a string on your finger. Some of you are really struggling with that. So good job, Matthew. Good job. Did you have somebody help you with that? No? Okay. 
Um, the, the theologian N.T. Wright, uh, he says in his book Simply Christian, which I highly recommend, actually you should read it, it's a fantastic book, but he says that God has placed inside of us a deep need for ritual, for remembering. We call those things our traditions. They become part of our life cycle. They're things like our table time conversation. We have a tradition in our family every time we sit down to eat. Uh, where's my children? Every time we sit down to eat, I don't know where they are. What do we do, kids? You do happy crappies every time we sit down to eat. We stole that from Nick um, somewhere. It's his terminology. But we do that every single day. Everybody has to give something that was a happy, a win for the day, and something that was a little bit less of a win for the day. And it, it helps us to have conversation. And I remember the first time we did it, we said, hey, this is a safe table. And there were like tears, like people crying, like, really? We can talk at our table? Our family's okay with me? I'm like, yes, actually, we're just fine with you, kind of. And um, that's our, it's part of our table time conversation, and it becomes a part of our, our, our tradition. It becomes part of our life cycle that helps us remember what God has done during that day and where we were struggling during that day. And some of those are some of the most important conversations we have. Uh, you go to like Christmases, okay? And during Christmas, right, everybody has their traditions. And those things are there to remind you of some of your family times or some of your, uh, some of your experience. We have each of these things kind of, de- kind of deeply interwoven into us. We have this, this idea of remembering. Like I said, we've, we've worked it into our technology. We're in this culture. We've become kind of dependent on these reminders now. Um, I call this thing my portable brain. Um, I am, since having a, a smartphone, since having a cell phone, I'm way more organized and way more punctual than I once have been. And it's like, it's like three of you are laughing. You should have met me before I had a cell phone. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's real rough. Yeah, how's my alarm clock work on that? Stop it, Jesse. Um, in case you didn't hear that story, we were supposed to leave for the Philippines. Um, for what time was we supposed to leave? 5 a.m.? Yeah, and so 5, was it 5? Yeah, so 5.45, I got a knock on the door from a police officer saying, hey, wake up, there are people down waiting for you. And, uh, it's fine. Anyways, um, we're not going to talk about that. But um, today in Second Peter, what we're going to see is you're going to see Peter's reminder. You're going to see an epic reminder that Peter wants to lay down in front of his people. And so grab a Bible, turn to Second Peter. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. Uh, snuggle up next to somebody who's got a smartphone and say, Hey, can I borrow your phone? And uh, just do that real creepy in their ear. It's fine. Uh, Somebody did it, didn't they? <laughs> and we're going to be in Second Peter chapter 1. Uh, what we've begun walking through is we've begun walking through this book, this very small book, because I think in Second Peter there are some of, the, some of the best teachings, some of the best warnings for us in our culture today. Um, and this, this stuff is very, very applicable. And I hope, like last week we talked about identity. And last week we talked about how Second Peter handles this concept of identity, that identity is not something we just look inside to find out, like, oh, I feel like I, uh, I have this identity, therefore I am this person. It's not something we feel inside. Then it's also not something we take from our job around us or anything that's outside of us. That's the foundation of codependency. But what identity comes from is it comes from Jesus as he recreates 
creates us into a new creature. And so Second um, Peter reminded us of that. And now he goes on to talk about uh, something pretty important. So we're going to start in verse 13. And we're going to work our way down to the end of the chapter. And then uh, I'm just going to talk for a brief bit about it. And... Um, and remind you of a few things. So, uh, verse 13 says this, I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. Right? So, you see that. He, right, right off the bat, he says, I think it's right to refresh you, to remind you, as long as I live in the tent or tabernacle of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside, as the Lord Jesus has made clear to me. So, what Peter's talking about is, I'm coming to the end of my life. I'm facing the end of this journey, and so what I want to give you is I want to give you a reminder. I want to give you something that you will remember. And like we talked about last week, if you've ever been around somebody who is nearing the end of their life, certain things come into perspective, certain things get more important, and they need to remind you of things over and over again. So you'll oftentimes see somebody who maybe as a father didn't say I love you a whole lot. And as they get to the end of their life, they start looking at that going, man, I better remind my kids that I love them every single day. And so they start saying that over and over again. And sometimes kids can be like, whoa, what is going on here? Um, Is this a little strange? No, actually, it's just perspective starting to settle in. And this is what's happening in Peter. So he says, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, verse 15, and I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Okay, so not only is he giving them a reminder, but he's saying, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure this reminder keeps repeating. So like if you set on your cell phone a repeat reminder, like I'm going to make sure that this one's put on repeat. And then verse 16, where we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, what Peter's getting at here is he's getting at something that I actually just heard recently. Um, well, it's kind of like what I just heard recently. We just got back from a district conference, and our district conference was this conference of uh, pastors that all gathered together, and some really cool things happened. We talked about uh, we had to you know do some voting and really dumb stuff like that. But in between the awesome, in between those meetings, some great things happened. And we got to hear some great speakers. And this one lady, her name's Melissa McDonald. She is the children's, uh, what is she? She's the head of kids ministry for the Alliance nationally. And she's going to be the ladies uh, speaker next year for the ladies retreat. She's a fantastic speaker. Anyways, uh, she said, whenever you present an idea, you want to give three things. You want to give evidence or you want to give statistics. You want to give anecdotal stories and you want to give scripture because you can argue with one out of the three, but you can't argue with all three. And this is what I think Peter's getting at. Okay, this is what I think he's getting at. Oh, before we jump in here, I need to share something with you as a church body that I haven't shared yet. So this church applied for a grant. I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, if you look around you, there are very few seats in this place. It's a good problem to have, actually. 
Although I, yeah, I don't like some of you. But anyway, so the I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I like everybody. Um, but this is a, a fairly full place, and we're addressing this issue by uh, in in September. We're going to be launching a second service, a Saturday night service, and then a Sunday morning service. Okay, and uh, in order to assist with some of the staffing that's going to need to come with that, and we don't quite know how that looks. We're having a board meeting to start the conversation tomorrow. We know a little bit, but um, in order to help with some of that stuff, we actually applied for a grant. This church for a twenty thousand dollar grant. We got it. So, yeah, yeah, so that's going to be great. Um, anyways, moving on. Sorry, side note. So Second Peter jumps in, or, or Peter jumps in here in the book of Second Peter, and I think what he's getting at is he's getting at this three-pronged thing of anecdotal evidence of, of, of Scripture and of, of fact, of statistic. He starts off saying, you know, we saw Jesus. I want to remind you of this. We saw him. Now, Peter starts off here with this. This is an actually ultimate important thing, right? He saw Jesus. And not only did he see Jesus, but he says, I saw him when the majestic glory shone all around him. He's talking about the transfiguration, which is when Peter and James and John are up on a mountain with Jesus. And all of a sudden, Elijah and Moses show up and God surrounds them in a cloud and speaks to them from the heaven. Now, this is an incredibly miraculous thing. And what Peter's saying is, hey, everybody, I saw saw this. I saw Jesus transformed into the likeness of who He is now. I saw this. And not only did I see this, but I saw this before He was crucified. Before He was buried and before He rose from the dead. Peter saw something that only three people on this earth had seen until that time. But additionally, Peter doesn't just say, I saw, you know, I mean, think about all the things that Peter actually saw. Peter saw Jesus. Peter saw Jesus walk on water. Peter saw Jesus stand up in the boat and say, peace be still. And he saw the winds and the waves and everything stop. He saw the 5,000 that came, the 5,000 people that came, and he saw Jesus pass along the basket and pass along the, the, uh, pass along the fish and the loaves. And he saw everybody get their fill. And he saw the leftovers. He saw Jesus kick over tables. He saw Jesus... Correcting the Pharisees. He saw Jesus standing up to the the religious authorities of those days. He saw Jesus turn water into wine. He saw Jesus open the eyes of the blind. Think about all the things that Peter saw. And he says here, I wish to remind you before I take this body off, before I die, I wish to remind you and I wish to make sure and make every effort that you will be reminded continually that we saw him. We saw him. But he also saw Jesus' compassion. He also saw Jesus weep before the grave of Lazarus. He also saw Jesus curse the fig tree as he wept over Jerusalem. He also saw the sweat of blood drop, sweats, the sweat drops of blood dropping off of Jesus as he couldn't even keep his eyes open. He saw the, the group or the, the mob come and he saw Judas kiss him and he saw his savior pulled away and brought into a trial and he saw the empty tomb. 
And he saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. If you remember, he's fishing in the Galilee region and Jesus shows up on the shore and says to them, hey, throw your nets over. And Peter's the first one to jump in the lake and go, go swim on in, leaving his work behind. And all the rest of the guys are like, ah, Peter. Peter saw so much. He saw so much. It wasn't just one thing where you could look at it and go, well, are you sure you saw what you saw? No, actually, he saw more than that and more than that and more than that. And he's saying, look, I want to tell you what I saw, what I perceived with my eyes. Eyes are a tricky thing to fool, although sometimes they can be fooled and we can disagree with that. But he continues on because he doesn't just stop with, I saw. He also says, and we also heard. We also heard. We heard the majestic voice that came down from glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain, on the sacred mountain. We heard. So Peter doesn't start with, he starts with we saw, but he goes to we heard and I want to help you know what I heard. Now think again about all the things that Peter heard. Think about the things that Peter heard. He heard the voice of the Father come down from heaven. That's an incredible thing in and of itself. But Peter also heard the voice of the Lord and declare that it was his Son with whom he was well pleased. Now I have to, I have to take this moment just to hit on this idea. In our culture right now, we have all these ideas about Jesus. Well, Jesus was a good man. I loved his footwear and his hairstyle. I could have done away with you know the white flowing robes, but everything else was great. Jesus was a wonderful teacher. Jesus was a great philosopher. I'm sure he was very, very much like uh, I don't know, just sitting on top of a hill and uh, loving peace and all that good stuff. But here's the deal: what Peter's talking about is that he heard God the Father's voice booming over Jesus, saying, "This is my Son, with whom I am well pleased. It will do you well to listen to Him." Right? Like this is the voice of God Almighty coming down going, hey, you hear my voice? Listen to His voice now. That's a powerful thing. Peter heard so much. Peter heard the Father speak over Jesus actually several times. He heard the moment when Jesus' death darkened the sky and made the earthquake. He heard God Himself move heaven and earth to show the glory of His Son. But He also heard the wind and the waves cease. He also heard the demons shriek and come out of people. He also heard the water dripping off of His own feet as the Savior washed them, saying, Now you go and do likewise. And Peter heard the rooster crow three times. And Peter heard the voice of his Lord say, If you love me, you will feed my lambs. You will feed my sheep. He heard the Lord restore him. Peter heard so very, very, very much. Now words can be misinterpreted. And sometimes we can fool ourselves to see certain things. But he doesn't stop there. 
Because then he says, and we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place. Now he turns his eyes over to, we've also been given a testimony about God, that, or about Jesus, that predates Jesus. We've been given already, we've been given this word of God that says Jesus is coming. Peter turns to the Scriptures and says we have this prophetic word. He recognizes that not only has he seen Jesus, not only has he heard Jesus, but now they actually have the Word of God that has been attested to by all of the people that they care and that they love, all of the the Jews and some of the Gentiles. And they, they have this Word of God that people are following and they're going, he's going, it is, this is actually about Jesus. So we have our experience, we have our hearing, and we also have... The Word of God made more sure. It's a beautiful thing, right? Because you can argue with somebody's experience. You can argue with what they saw. You can argue with what they heard. And you can maybe argue with Scripture. But then eventually you start to figure out that you're just arguing. Because sometimes we have the Scripture. And we can look at that and go, well, it depends on your interpretation, right? Then there are people that we meet that have met the God of the Bible who has spoken deep down into their life and into their darkness and have caused light to come into their soul and have transformed them and have changed them. And you look at that and go, okay, I've read it, but now I see it. I see it happening in somebody. And he says we should pay attention to Scripture like a light in the darkness. Peter's intent in this whole thing is to help us to see that this whole thing is not just a cleverly devised myth. He starts off going with that. It's not a cleverly devised story that we're following. This is not a cleverly invented story or cleverly devised myth or whatever your interpretation says. And what he's talking about is, I'm pinning my life on something that is not made up. This is something I saw, this is something I heard, and this is something that's been proclaimed to me. I have my I have my anecdotal evidence, I have my truth, and I have the scripture and I can argue with one out of the three. I can't argue with all three because all three of them come together and say, look, this is what has happened. And he's pointing to the beauty of scripture and he's pointing to the beauty of our experience. Now, that's a wonderful thing. And in some ways, this is a way of a setup for what I actually want to talk about today. And this is a beautiful thing too. And I wanted to talk about this, but here's what I want you to know is I, I want to talk briefly about what the Bible is and what the Bible isn't, because there's actually some confusion today as to what it is and what it isn't. And so I want to help you to understand what this thing is. And because, uh, because what I see is, as I look over our society, as I look over American culture, this kind of is the dividing point. There are some people who look at this book and turn it into something that it's not, and it goes all kinds of wonky directions. And you may, what I'm about to say might be offensive, and I'm not sorry about that. Um, but I am sorry about that. I don't mean to offend you, but I want you to hear what I am saying and try really hard to not hear what I'm not saying. What I'm going to do is I'm going to walk you through kind of a list of some of the ways that we see Scripture in the society that is not the way that Peter's talking about it here. And what I want to do is not to offend you. What I want to do is I want to reframe your thinking into the way that you see the Bible and then challenge you with a reminder that you already have tied around your finger, hopefully, if you're, you know, wonderful people. So here's some bad ideas of the Bible. Some bad ideas of the Bible. I don't think... Yeah, I might have them up there, actually, in a list. I'm sure I do. 
some bad ideas of the Bible. First one is the one that I choke every time. Okay, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. Right, so the basic instructions before leaving earth. The B-I-B-L-E, okay, that, that acronym. Basic instructions before leaving earth. We've heard this thrown around. Maybe some of you have it on your uh, Bible covers because it's too hard to hold a Bible you need to handle or whatever, right? So the basic instructions before leaving earth. And, and this idea is that the Bible is is not actually an instruction manual for how to get the best out of your life. I don't know if you know that or not. I actually just sat through in our district conference, I sat through some marriage uh, counseling uh, training seminars or whatever, some uh, some conflict resolution training seminars. And they said, um, oh, this is the best manual for marriage ever. Now that's great. We can take principles out of this, and we do this in premarital counseling and you know and marriage counseling or whatever. We take some of the principles out of this whole thing, but I tell you what, almost every one of the scriptures about marriage that you're talking about has to do with simply submitting just like Jesus did, because actually it's a picture of what the church is supposed to do. And marriage is a little microcosm of the church. If we look at this book as though it are it's the instructions for how to live our best life now, how to get the most out of our life, we will distort everything in Scripture so that it is about us and it is about now, when there is so much that is about Jesus and about the future and about who He is in the past and present and future. It is not the basic instructions before leaving earth. Because this book actually doesn't stay on earth. According to Jesus... He says, not even one dot, not even one little iota, not even one little thing will pass away, ever. Because the Word of God is eternal. It is also not a My Daily Affirmation. Okay, uh, The My Daily Affirmation is the approach where we come to Scripture and we look at it and we go, okay, I just really, I just really need to feel better right now. And so i got to find me some feel-better verses. If we do this, what will happen is we will love Psalm 23. What is Psalm 23? For the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You make me lie down in green pastures, right? And we will forget Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why is everything falling apart and so so lost and broken? The My Daily Affirmation, the, the way of going, coming in going, okay, I need to feel good about myself this day is not a good way to read Scripture. Is also not a doomsday decoder, okay? Uh, I don't know if this is actually becoming the thing of the past, but, um, but for years we've had people trying to pick apart. There was this guy that was on TV that was always trying to talk about who the Antichrist was, and I swear it was everybody on the face of the planet but him, and he had a numerical system to prove it found through the scriptures, okay? And you're searching through this thing going, okay, when's this thing gonna happen? 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 I know it's gonna happen. Oh man, I missed it, right? Like it's not that. We actually did talk about that not that long ago. There is one fantastic verse that uh, I, I love, Matthew twenty four fourteen. right? The gospel will go forth to the end to all nations as a testimony, and then the end will come, right? And so the end's not coming until the gospel goes forward. I don't know how that works, but we have a job to do, right? The Bible's not simply a thing where we're looking here to fit all the pieces of the puzzle and go, okay, God, what are you going to do next in my life? What are you going to do next in my life? Oh, i got to find out a plan. i got to figure this out because I know there's an end and I know something's coming and I don't know what to do. It is not that. It is also not a velvet brick. Now, I don't know where this phrase came from, but this is actually a phrase. Anybody hear this phrase before with a velvet brick? Everybody that is... Raise your hand, those who heard it. 
Don't be ashamed. Did you notice the age bracket of everybody that heard that phrase? Okay, it's a little bit older of a phrase, right? We just want to make sure we use the velvet brick. I don't, I don't want you hit by a brick. I don't care if it's covered in velvet. Why does that matter? Right? It makes it a little softer. No, it doesn't. It still hurts. The Bible is not a brick to beat people with, no matter how softly you do it. The Bible is not a brick to beat people with, no matter how softly you do it. This book is not a book where you're, you're using it as a chess piece to try to corner somebody. That is not what this book is all about. It is also not, and we'll pull up the next list, but before we jump into the next list, I do need to say, no, actually, we'll, this will fall in here. It's not chicken soup for the soul. Okay, this is actually very similar to the daily affirmation thing. This book is not, the Bible is not simply a book filled with suggestions in it how to live a good and happy and moral life. This is not a book filled with suggestions. Additionally, it's not a philosophy primer. It is not something where you're going into it going, okay, um, what is the best uh, thing that I can do to make... Uh, I, I just need to have a good philosophy that's going to help me to live a great life as well. Now, again, you got to remember as you're listening to this that some of the ways we read Scripture contains some of these things, but I'm boiling into a point, so just... Hold yourself there, judgy pants. This, what falls into this philosophy primer as well is, this is not a book where we're able to look at it and go, I can take this in order to disprove anybody, every time, all the time, and win every single argument on the face of the planet because my arguments are better than yours because they came from the Bible, okay? This is not exactly how we're supposed to read Scripture as well. It is also not a really long gospel tract. You, you can't just hand this to somebody and say, read it and come back. Now you can, and the Holy Spirit does work that way, and we have seen people do that. But I tell you what, if there is no previous understanding of what is going on, this book can be incredibly confusing. And it is not, as verse 16 says, a clever fable. It's not something that has a bunch of stories with morals to it. And it is also not something that is a product of imagination. If men were to imagine a book that would transform them, it would not look like this. It would not tell you that you're a sinful person that needs Jesus. It would not tell you that you are broken and apart from the sovereign hand of the Lord, you can't even remotely come to a relationship with Him. It would not be the thing we invent. In fact, the thing we would invent would be the thing that would say, you're good, you're great, you're wonderful, and you don't need anything. All we need is a little bit more instruction to live a better life. That's what man would imagine, and unfortunately, that's what we do imagine. Now, to some degree, studying Scripture is all of these things combined, and that's maybe a fraction of what it is. But here's what I'll tell you that it is. In fact, Paul even, Peter even says this in here. Excuse me. All those P names. Peter even says this in here. He says, For prophecy, or you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture, no Scripture ever came about by a prophet's own interpretation, for prophets never had its or prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. But here's what happened. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What's happening here, and you see this, is as men who are speaking in the language of men. That is a message coming from God being interpreted by the Holy Spirit. The Bible is a missionary text. 
From front to back, it's a missionary text. From cover to cover, it's a missionary text. And here's what I mean by that. It is the culture of God, the reality of God's world, the reality of Jesus Christ, the reality of sin and salvation and the nature of this world and the brokenness of man. It is the reality of all of those things as God sees them recorded in a way that we can hear. Recorded in a way that we can hear. And so when we're coming and we're looking for our basic instructions before leaving earth because we want to know what the best life is now, that is a me-centered understanding of the good of the good news of the Scripture. When we're coming in going, what is my daily affirmation? I just really want to feel good about myself. We're coming to this book looking for more of us. If we're looking for a doomsday decoder, oftentimes it's because we want to get out of this place and we don't really care anymore about what's going on here. Or if we're using this as a velvet brick, we've lost the idea that there are other people and we are mandated, commanded, and recreated to love them. This is a missionary text where we are beginning to understand the culture that we are now a member of. We are now a citizen of. And we are now ambassadors from that culture into this culture. You know what an ambassador is, right? Like you ever said the embassy, right? An embassy in, in another world, in another country, excuse me, an embassy in another country is a tract of land, a spot of land that has this nation's sovereign rule in it. So all of this nation's rules and laws apply in that embassy. And ambassadors come out of that embassy and live in this community and go to work in this embassy. This is what we have become, our ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We've been created, transformed, renewed, given a new identity, placed as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, but being placed in the embassy that is here. And we go on to, we go into this world being able to proclaim about the kingdom that we live in. And here's the issue. This is why I think right now in our culture, and particularly in Western culture, why we've become so ineffective with our scripture reading, teaching, and understanding. We, we, we have right now, we have uh, the least biblical literate um, the least biblical literate generations, not generation young, but generations young and old alike, we have the least biblical literate generations that have ever been in this country. One of the reasons that that is is because we've grabbed a different lens to read this thing through. The missionary text, the missionary nature of the Bible is to communicate a reality that we can't understand because we don't speak the language. And the Holy Spirit interprets that and men pen that in a culture and in a language that we can understand. And so we can look to this and we can read the history and we can understand who Peter was and what he was talking about and the words that he's using and the ideas that he's using. And what he's doing is he's communicating who God is from hundreds of different ways. Sometimes through poetry, sometimes through narrative, sometimes through prophecy, sometimes through instructional texts like this. In fact, there's a really cool thing in here that you're not reading, that if you're reading it in the Greek, uh, Peter never is referring to, um, he doesn't refer to um, Jesus ever as Jesus. He always keeps referring to him as uh, that, that one, that one. It's a title that the uh, Pythagoreans used for Pythagoras, their great philosopher and the one that they followed. Even in this, he's using missionary language going, hey, Pythagoreans who follow Pythagoras, you want to honor him by calling him the one? I'm going to do that with Jesus so you can understand what I'm doing. Even in that, he's 
throwing little things in there. This is a missionary text. And so as we come to this, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to read it to find the character and the nature of God Almighty. And as we see Him, we're supposed to be changed and transformed by seeing that character and that nature. And then we're supposed to understand this and take this to the nations. Becoming the the new people who are filled with the Holy Spirit that are bringing the interpretation of the missionary text to other nations because they need to hear it as well. The Bible is a missionary text and here's what it tells you. Here's what it tells you. Here's what we've learned from this missionary text about God. That God spoke and He formed everything. God spoke and He formed everything. And then God continued speaking and He spoke to man. He spoke to Adam. He spoke to Eve. And even after they fell and the whole world fell apart and sin entered everything, what does He do immediately with Cain and Abel? He says, hey, Cain, let's talk about this. Abel, let's talk about this. There's some stuff going on here. He's back talking to mankind. God speaks to mankind. Then God meets with mankind throughout the rest of the text. He comes and He starts meeting with mankind first in a bush and then in a tabernacle. And then um, and then the tabernacle moves into a temple. And then the temple, He keeps meeting with people. And then God Almighty comes and He becomes man to meet with man. And then He dies for man. And He raises to life as the first man, the first new created being. And He heals mankind. And then He fills mankind and sends mankind to the nations. And He also tells us that He's returning to finish the job. That is what the missionary text says in a thousand different ways. A thousand different ways. And once you get a grasp on that, then you're just reading this going, oh man, that's, I just, God's speaking to people. I see that. God's here speaking to people. God's a speaking God. He communicates with people. Oh wait, God sent somebody to do something. Man, God sends me to do something. The story continues and you get to see it happen over and over and over again. If this is what the Bible is, then I must ask you, how do you read it? Do you read it? If it's the, if it's God's story of God's glory translated into man's darkness for man's hope, then it should change how we read it, when we read it, why we read it. If it is God's story of God's glory translated into man's darkness for man's hope, then that should change how we read it, when we read it, and why we read it. This week, I have a challenge for you. Set yourself a reminder. You have a rope on your finger. Or grab your phone and set yourself a reminder. Read the gospel, read a gospel this week. Read a gospel this week. Have you ever done that? Sat down and read a gospel in one sitting? You ever done that? The other day, uh, or the other day, a couple months ago, I sat down and read Proverbs in one sitting. I hate Proverbs. It just, I don't know, it just doesn't connect with me. Sat down, read it all in one sitting. Best way to read it ever. Actually made sense. It was awesome. Sat down, took it about, oh, maybe three hours on a Saturday. Because I'm a slow reader. Read Proverbs. Have you ever read an entire gospel in one shot? I'm going to challenge you. Read the book of Mark this week. 16 chapters. 
Three chapters a day, and then some if you fall off the wagon. Three chapters is not all that hard. Or just read it all in one shot. Set yourself a reminder. Read the book of Mark this week and ask yourself the question, Who is God? Who is Jesus? What is He saying about me? And what do I need to do about that? If you can answer those questions, you will be absolutely shocked at what the book of Mark says about you, about God, about Jesus, and what you're to do about it. You won't regret it. You won't regret it. You're not going to end up, you know, you're not going to finish chapter 16 of Mark, shut that, and go, well, never doing that again. That was horrible. I'm telling you, you will find in there some incredible things. You will find things that will come to life. Some of my favorite stories are in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 2 is like my favorite one ever. You won't regret You won't regret it. Study the Bible not to find more of you. Study the Bible to find Jesus, to find who He is. This is what Second Peter is talking all about. We see, we have heard, and we've received testimony about Him. Have you ever seen Jesus move? I sure hope you have. Have you ever heard the Word of the Lord come to you? Whether that be through prayer or whether that be through somebody else. If you've ever heard the Word of God, that's great. But you might be missing the third of the three-corded braid thingy, whatever. You might be missing the third point. Read the Scriptures. They are more sure. They make your experience more sure. This is a missionary text through and through. If you need help understanding it or want somebody to keep you accountable, find somebody here and say, hey, I need help. I want to read the book of Mark this week, but I'm afraid I'm going to forget, so please tell me. And then run up the stairs like that, all excited to read the Bible. (laughs) Awesome. Man, there must be some great stuff in the bathroom. Take the challenge this week. Give it a shot. I'm telling you, you won't regret it. The Holy Spirit will speak to you through the power of God's Word. And next week we'll jump back in to Second Peter. But I will ask somebody, I will ask you, actually Nick, Nick write this down, Nick will ask you next week during uh, offerings time, did you read? And if so, what did you hear? So there will be an assignment, people. It's okay. Do your homework. It will be graded. You will be given Jesus points accordingly. (laughs) So let's pray. And let's ask God to open our hearts and our minds and remind us of who He is. Let's ask God to remind us. Jesus, we come before You and I ask that You would remind us. That You would open our hearts and our minds and speak to us so clearly that we cannot forget who You are. That we would not forget who You are. That we would not forget that You have recorded incredible things that were saw, that were incredible things that that had been heard, and incredible things that have been confirmed through the Scripture. Lord, help us to not forget those things. Help us to remember them. I don't know how many times I've been... I don't know how many times I've been stuck in the middle of the week going, oh man, my week is just falling apart. Why in the world is my week falling apart? And I come to you and I'm looking for some daily affirmation and all of that stuff, Lord, but I just, 
have forgotten that I need to come to the Word of God to hear and to see who you are and to just bask in your character and in your nature and in your glory because you've given me your Spirit and I can see who you are. And so, Lord, I pray that you would stir people up through the power of your Word, that you will help them to see who you are and that as we study the Word of God together, that You will move people's lives. Lord, this is not about me. This is not about us. You must do it. You have said, apart from You, we can do nothing. So we pray that we would be connected to You. We need to be connected to You. Forgive us for this life that we're trying to live apart from You. And apart from Your Word. And help us to love You in spirit and in truth. So we can know not only what we believe... But so our belief and our values and our and all those things can affect us and change us deep down inside. Lord, move in our spirits, move in our lives. Make us into people who devour Your Word, not so we can beat people over the head with it, but so we can be changed by who You are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.